And this is what Jeremiah is saying. Do not look back to some idealistic time that will not come. And that is the word, I think, ultimately, that we need to hear in COVID, in this COVID-19 period. What are some changes that will take place in the COVID-19 period that we will never go back to? Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to hear some comments from Kevin Cosby. He's the president of Simmons College of Kentucky. It's a historically black college in Louisville that's affiliated with the National Baptist Convention of America. Dr. Cosby was the keynote speaker for the North American Baptist Fellowship's annual gathering this year, which turned out to, of course, be a virtual meeting like so many of our events this year. It was held on Wednesday, October 21st. And Dr. Cosby gave two different presentations, and so this episode is going to be the first one, and then the very next episode will be the second of his presentations. So in this one, we're going to hear him talking about what does it mean to be thinking about life and ministry after COVID? What can we be learning during COVID to prepare us for after COVID? And then the next talk, episode 143... He's going to be talking about after protest. What can we be learning during this time of protest against racial injustices to move forward to a better future in our society and our churches? So I think these are important conversations by an important thinker in Baptist life. And so I wanted to share them to a bit of a broader audience. And so I'm glad that you're here checking it out. So here's Kevin Cosby of Simmons College of Kentucky speaking to the annual gathering of the North American Baptist Fellowship on Beyond COVID. Since God is the creator, Bara Elohim, God Barad, which is the Hebrew word for creation, and since we are made in the image of Elohim, God has endowed within us creative possibilities, or another word that is usually bantered around for creativity is innovation. Our God is an innovative God, and may, being made in the image of God, we also have the capacity to be innovative if we tap into the innovation. Someone said, if God gives you a watch, quit asking God what time it is. And if God has given us innovation, the ability to be creative, then God wants us to tap into that innovation. George Washington Carver, a very saintly man 
who basically saved the South in the early part of the 20th century, the Southern farmers, when the Boivo uh, attacked the cotton and devastated the economy, he, George Washington Carver, that brilliant saintly scientist at Tuskegee University, said he once prayed and asked God to tell him what was in the peanut. And God said to him, George, I gave you a brain. You find out yourself. And when asking God, what do we do in these times that we're living in as, as church people? What do we do as church leaders? God is saying, I've given you innovation. I've put innovation and creativity in you. You find out yourself. To, to help you understand what innovation is, let me give a simple my simple definition of what it is, innovation and creativity, bara, Hebrew. Innovation is simply the art of discovering what is what is was always there. It's the art of discovering what was always there. For example, the pitch that Jacobet used to seal the ark that she placed Moses in, that pitch, it could have been used for more things than to seal a basket for baby Moses. In fact, BP is now using that pitch because that's petroleum. It was always petroleum. It could have been used as petroleum during the time of Moses. But they didn't know what they had. There were underneath the feet of the Hebrews as they were making their way through the desert en route to Canaan. This bubbling stuff that was coming up out of the ground. They didn't know what it was, but it was fossil fuel. BP now knows what it was. It could have been used as fossil fuel during the time of Moses. They could have, they could have in, during those cold nights, could have manufactured that into heat, but they didn't know what they had. That was the basis of Mark Twain's classic essay, a, a story, an American Yankee in King Arthur's court. Someone from the 20th century goes to medieval England and is able to use the technology of the 20th century, and of course, which threatened Merlin, the magician, uh, who depended upon superstition. And of course, Mark Twain, who was an agnostic, was calling for us to move from religious-based knowledge or what he perceived to be superstition uh, to science. But the point is a good point, and that is that they could have used the technology of the 20th century in the medieval time, but they just didn't know what they had. One of my favorite poems, and I don't know who the author is, but it says, a cloud, a sky, and a river, and ten, and ten men walked by. Ten men saw the cloud, the sky, and the river, but all but one passed by. The one saw the cloud, the sky, and the river with the artist's mind and eye, and then painted it on canvas 
for the other nine to buy. So 10 of them saw this, saw the same thing. Or might I say 10 of them were looking at the same thing, but only one of the 10 saw something. So maybe what distinguishes people in this, our ministries in this COVID-19 era, and perhaps in all eras, is that some leaders look at things and some leaders see things. And to see something as opposed to just looking at something is what is desperately needed in this COVID-19 period. So a bat, a bat in the Wulong province of China released a contagious airborne novel virus and it has plunged the world in ambulatory speed into a new era. Uh, it has been said that there are years when nothing uh, monumental happens, but then there are weeks when decades happen and we're living through some weeks or months, might I say, in which decades have happened. We have a new vocabulary, a new working vocabulary that we did not have last year this time. New words have entered into the lexicon of human speech, words such as social distancing, self-quarantine, shelter in place, uh, working from home, personal protective equipment, super spreader, contact tracing, hand sanitizers, mask. These are new words that are part of everyone's working vocabulary that we were not using just a year ago. I think that in order to be creative in this age of COVID-19, it is critically important that we have wide-eyed realism. I think the church is called to be realistic, to be honest about the times and to face with realism the times in which we're living in. If you're looking for a good story that helps us understand what realism is in the midst of change, then consider the story of Jeremiah in chapters 28 and 29 as the Jerusalemites were on the brink of losing their culture, their institutions, and their civilization. In Jeremiah chapter 28, Jeremiah, no one wants to be a Jeremiah. The, the word Jeremiah, which is in our dictionary, of course, means morbid and sad. And no one wants to be a Jeremiah because Jeremiah had the unpleasant task of telling people what they did not want to hear. And there's something in human nature. We all want to be liked. 
And Jeremiah was so disliked and was so counterculture, so out of step with his contemporaries that even his own family put a contract out on him. You know, it was B.B. Uh, King who had a blues song that said, uh, I don't think anybody loves me and I'm having doubts about my mama too. Now, anytime you have doubts about your mama, you really got some blues. And I think Jeremiah could have sung that song because his own family in Anatoff put a contract out on his life because of his political incorrect uh, message. Jeremiah in the 28th chapter is writing to exiles who are in Tel Aviv. As you know, that there were various waves of deportation. And this is the early part of the deportation of the Babylonians as they are uprooting the Jerusalemites and sending them to Tel Aviv. And there's a prophet there whose name is Hananiah, who spelled the word prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, because he, he was basically out to get a prophet by misleading the people. And this is what it says. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So Hananiah was saying he's, that God's going to break the yoke of the king of Babylon, who has deported the Jerusalemites into Tel Aviv. And you know that the word yoke throughout the Bible is used as a, a word of subjugation. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus is saying, "Take, be submissive, be subordinate, surrender to me. And the Babylonians had placed a yoke upon the Jerusalemites. And this prophet who claims to be speaking on behalf of God, he invokes the name of God. He says in verse two again, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And he's telling these exiles that in verse three, he says, within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. He invokes the name of the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the domination of the king of Babylon. And they heard God was going to do this within two years. He's writing to people who were exiles, prisoners of war, who had lost their culture, their freedom, uh, their sense of self-determination. They'd lost it all. And Hananiah is saying, God is saying, the exile is only going to last two years. So don't settle down in Babylon. Don't take out any mortgage in Babylon. Don't grow any gardens in Babylon because you're not going to be there. 
live like you are living in a hotel. When you are in a hotel, you live out of your suitcase. You do not put your clothes in the drawer. There are dresser drawers in a hotel room, but you don't put your clothes in a dresser drawer uh, because you don't intend to be there. And the Jerusalemites, because of the message of Hananiah, had not unpacked their clothes. They were living in a, as though they were living in a hotel. That's why I've entitled uh, this message, the pandemic is not a hotel. Verse five says, then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priest and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen, may the Lord do so. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, I, I wish, oh, I wish your prophecy Hananiah was true. I, I wish that the Lord, he says, may the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I, ha I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true which is to say that prophecy, Jeremiah is saying that prophecy is always measured by its accuracy. Verse 10, then the prophet took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. So Jeremiah was not only prophesying about the imminent invasion of, the, of, of Babylon into Jerusalem, but he was using a visual aid of a yoke around his neck because yokes represent domination. And of course, Hananiah took that yoke off and broke it. Verse 11, and he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says in the name, in the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. So we shouldn't be disturbed as Baptists when some Baptists are saying one thing and other Baptists are saying other things uh, as it relates to politics. Some Baptists say that God sent Trump and uh, some Baptists are saying that Trumpianity is idolatry and they're using the scriptures to base this. So the same thing, you always have a Hananiah, and you always have a Jeremiah. But the test of prophecy is accuracy. In fact, sometimes the best argument is not an argument. We think that the only way that we can persuade people about our faith is an argument. The greatest argument for our faith is not an argument. The greatest argument for our faith is an accomplishment. The best, the best debate for our faith is not a debate, it's a demonstration. A demonstration beats a debate every time. In fact, a demonstration is an undebatable debate. An accomplishment is an unarguable argument. There was a man who was born blind and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And Jesus' critics said of Jesus that 
he is a sinner for healing him on the Sabbath day. The blind man did not debate the issue. He did not argue the issue. He just said this, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. This one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they couldn't do anything with the accomplishment of Jesus because our accomplishments always shut down arguments. Our demonstrations shut down debates. So Jeremiah walked away and didn't get into a debate, and that's wise because he knew that ultimately he would be able to demonstrate the truth of God's word. But Jeremiah does write in the next chapter, Jeremiah 29, he writes to those who had believed Hananiah and had not unpacked their bags as though they were living in a hotel. And he writes a letter to them, this famous letter from Jeremiah to those who are in exile. He says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, basically quit living, quit acting as though you're living in a hotel. He says, build houses and settle down. Or let me contemporize it. Build houses and settle down in COVID-19. Plant gardens and eat what they produce in COVID-19. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase, grow, develop become a powerful nation or church in COVID-19. That one sentence is something maybe that should be the theme of, the, of Baptists. And that is that we will increase in numbers there and we will not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. In other words, while you are in Babylon, make a difference. Make a positive difference in Babylon. Do not be detached from the culture, but make a difference. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the, let the prophets like Hananiah and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you they you encourage them to have. And people will encourage us to lie to them. You remember Micaiah ben Imla when Jehoshaphat and Ahab wanted to annex Ramoth Gilead, and 400 prophets said, yes, it's God's will, Anax Renoff Gilead. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not another prophet? And Ahab says, yes, there is one. Because Jehoshaphat was suspicious when 400 prophets think alike, that means somebody else is doing the thinking for the 400 prophets. So he says, is there not another prophet? And he says, yes, his name is Micaiah, son of Imla, Micaiah ben Imla. He says, but I hate him. Because he never 
says anything good for me. Now, he doesn't hate him because he lies. He's hating him because he tells him the truth. And people love to bring around them prophets who tell them what they want to hear. He says in verse nine, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. Now, think about that. You've got one prophet who's saying, don't unpack your bags, uh, grow slow, uh, go fast. Don't plant any gardens. Don't settle down because you're only going to be there two years. But then you have Jeremiah who tells the people the truth. He says, Settle down because you're going to be there 70 years. Now, let me ask you a question. What does 70 years mean if you're 10? If you're 10 years old, what does 70 years mean? If What does 70 years mean if you're 30 years old? What does 70 years mean if you're 62 years old as I am? Well, let me tell you what 70 years means if you're 62. 70 years means that... The circumstances that you are in are not going to change. That you cannot, God, when God made the human body, did not put eyes in the back of our head. Our vital equipment is in front of us. By design, you have eyes in front of you. You have ears that are little amphitheaters that are in front of you that pick up sound in front of you. That's why the ears are shaped the way they are. Your nostrils are in front of you. Your, 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 your mouth is in front of you. Hands reach out in front of you. Your feet are in front of you. you. You cannot turn your neck all the way around because God, by the very design of our bodies, does not want us to look back. The only thing that is behind us is something that produces gas every now and then in order to propel us forward like gas should propel you forward. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. Do not look back to some idealistic time that will not come. And that is the word, I think, ultimately, that we need to hear in COVID, in this COVID-19 period. What are some changes that will take place in the COVID-19 period? that we will never go back to. And I, and I think that we need to divide the period into BC, before COVID, C, COVID, or, D, or DC during COVID, and AC after COVID. What will be different in Babylon, in the COVID world? Well, let me offer a few things that will be different. Number one, full-time ministries and staff will continue to decline, decline. And here's some things about the COVID world. And it is that 33% of what we do will not change. 33% we do not will change. 33% of what we do will change. And by not change, I mean we will still be, the mission of the church will continue to be the same pre-COVID mission. 
our church's mission is five basic things. Exalt God's greatness, that's worship. Evangelize God's world. Equip God's people through teaching, education, Christian education. Express God's love through acts of kindness. Expand God's kingdom through social justice. Thy kingdom come, not empire, to, to militate against the empire through the, the Basileia Theos, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of justice. And those that basic mission, when I say 33% of what we did pre-COVID will not change. And 33% of what we do will change. And that's the method. And methods... Methods change. Content doesn't change. Who was on the weed cover of a Wheaties box in the 1930s was Lou Gehrig. Larry Gehrig was on the cover of Wheaties box in the 21st century in 2020. It might be LeBron James. The cover changes. The, the, the packaging changes. But if I claim to have Wheaties, and I pour in a bowl what's in the Wheaties box and Rice Krispies comes out, then I've got a problem because the content should not change. And the content does not change, but the method is going to change. And the method is everything's going to have to move online. Meth everything's going to move online. And let me give you some things. And this is, you can write these things down as ships, COVID-19 ships that will take place. Full-time ministry positions will decline. So where we had, golly, a, a, a minister of multiple ministers of children of different ages, those positions are not, we will not have those positions. Most churches will not have them in the post-COVID world. In fact, we're going to move from a gig economy. Now, the rest of the world had already moved to a gig economy. Just like Elijah, when his brook dried up at the brook called Cherith, it said because there was no rain in the land. Well, Elijah was just experiencing what other people were experiencing in a drought economy. And we're now, that drought economy, that gig economy is coming to the church. It has come to the church. So full-time ministry positions will continue to be in decline. A second thing that will happen is we will move back in, in many ways, which is healthy, to a pre-Constantine concept of buildings, pre-Constantine. Well, no longer are we facility-focused. The, the brick-and-mortar complex that constituted, especially during the 1950s, because the 1950s was the, the, the heyday of, of churches in America, United States, post the post-World War II generation. And, uh, and then, of course, we had an, ups, an upswing beginning in the late 80s, on the 80s, mid-80s, 90s, with the emergence of the mega churches. Well, those mega church facilities, that day is over with. Here's a third thing, and that is the utter urgency of fiscal responsibility. The utter urgency of fiscal responsibility and the elimination 
and minimal debt. The church today cannot afford to be fiscally irresponsible. Four, the importance of technology. If there is a new ministry that needs to develop, two new ministries that need to develop strongly in the church, and that is a ministry of generosity that is helping people to understand how to be generous. And then secondly, there is a need for a ministry of technology, the technon, the technon. Jesus, in fact, the word carpenter is the Greek word for technon, from which we get our word technology. So Jesus was the technon. Five, as we are doing now, the, the importance of a virtual delivery service, virtual delivery systems for how we reach people. So the church is going to have to be ambidextrous. We're going to have to master online and on campus with a great emphasis being online. Prior to COVID-19, I was preaching on Saturdays and Sundays, six weekend services, six. And I've been doing it for 20 years on three locations. I informed my congregation that the six services on weekends will discontinue. We will do just one service. And we could have done one service years ago, but I didn't think the congregation would adjust to technology and screens, and especially in the black church tradition. And they have adjusted and we are not going back. Uh, so high tech delivery systems. Uh, here's another thing. And that is the importance of high touch ministries. I think the, the number one thing that churches have to do is to stay connected on a very personal way to the members. It has to be about meeting and the needs of the members and not allowing the members to feel a sense of social isolation. Another factor in the post-COVID church is the end of the single staff position so that the youth minister might have to be youth minister, children's minister, outreach. They've got to wear multiple hats. Here's an eighth item. We have to think now of how to use kingdom buildings for kingdom bucks. We have to repurpose our buildings. And those buildings is bad stewardship to have all of this additional space that we will never use because of technology. And not think of ways that we can turn kingdom buildings into kingdom bucks by renting out our facilities. Sometimes when churches are starting, allowing another church to partner with two or three churches, especially the churches who have lost their facilities saying, look, you can utilize our facility and we can partner and that will cut down on some of the expenses. When I'm often asked the question, pastor, because we have not had on-campus worship since March 
And I'm asked, when will the church open up again? And my response to that question is the church is never closed. The building has closed, but the church is functioning. In fact, in many ways, we're doing better now than we did before COVID-19. So we have to turn kingdom buildings into kingdom bunks. Nine, the importance of lay ministry involvement, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. And then 10, develop, develop your own platforms. Now, I want to quickly give a scripture. I'm almost through in, in uh, the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 4, after the walls had been rebuilt in 52 days, it says that the people uh, are being rec are recommitting themselves to the law. And it says this, listen to this scripture, because it's a, there's a word in here that's just so powerful. It says, Ezra, the Sunday school superintendent, teacher of the law. So Ezra, the Sunday school superintendent of the law, stood on a high platform built for our, the occasion. King James uses the word pulpit of wood. So, and that's the only place in the Bible where a pulpit is mentioned. The word pulpit in King James, and I like that word pulpit because it, 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 I like it because pulpits should pull people out of the pits. That's what a pulpit should do. Your pulpit should, my pulpit should pull people out of the pits. But the NIV changes the word pulpit to platform. So platforms are what people are using online, my online platform. And the people, the members built the platform for the propagation of the word of God that was taught by Ezra. And that's what it says. It says built, the people built it. So what we must do is we must build our platforms, our online platforms, so that the Ezra's might continue to teach the word of God. If this world, if, if can build platforms, if sports, can build platforms. If everyone is building a platform, it is critical that the church build a platform for the propagation of the word of God. We have a new market now. So when you go to SSC Live TV, these are our church is St. Stephen Baptist Church. So SSC is St. Stephen Church online TV, and it's subtitled Truth, Justice, power tv our way tv our way simply means that this re this this platform reflects the interest of the black community the black community does not have platforms we've been deinstitutionalized and when i talk to you in, in an hour from now i will share what i mean by that what what, what it means to be a deinstitutionalized community we have we're developing this platform so when you go to ssc live tv We've developed every week, these are programs that you can click to watch every week. Every day I do, a since March, I do a devotional. I've done a devotional every day. So you've got good, for example, uh, look at the principal's office. The principal's office is a principal, a black principal at, in our school system who is 
doing who's presenting something every week that parents need to know about education. Beside her is Dr. Rondo. She's a member of the church. And some of these are not. For example, we have the in, local NAACP that's part of SSC Live TV and other Norton Hospital, which just gave our college, Simmons College, $1.2 million. And they're going to start advertising on our platform because we have so many people watching it. Well, that's money that's going to come into our institution through this platform. And they develop, we develop this platform. And I just, and people watch these. We send this out, we market this, and we're reaching people across the country, a great audience across the country using this platform. I, I guess what I'm saying is this, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we gonna listen to Hananiah or are we gonna to listen to Jeremiah? Are we going to live out of a hotel? Or are we going to unpack our bags and say, it's a new day, it's a new era. I have to deal with realism, but through innovation and creativity, we can increase and not decrease. I want to be like Jeremiah. I want to, I want to build my house. I want to keep developing my family, even though I'm in Babylon. I want to take out a 70 year mortgage on my home because I'm going to be around to pay for it because I'm going to be in Babylon for 70 years. I'm going to grow some tomatoes, but they're going to be some slow growing tomatoes because this is the new reality. I'm going to be in Babylon and I'm going to be innovative and creative. And I'm going to learn from whoever I can learn from on how to use the new technology to reach people for Christ. One of the great historians, and I close, of the 20th century, oh, his name escapes me. Uh, he's a, a British historian, but he, he developed what, his whole thesis of history is what's called the Garden of Eden method of history. And, and he says that had Adam and Eve stayed in the garden, they never would have developed. He said that it was only when they were expelled from the garden to the east side of Eden that they developed the tools to survive. He said, because when you're in paradise, there's no incentive to grow. And he says the whole thesis, he says his whole, the whole thesis of history is that we only made progress historically when we were east of Eden, when something traumatic happened that pushed us to innovation. And he said, you never would have invented fire. You never would have invented the wheel. You never would have invented anything if you didn't have to invent it. There was no need to invent fire to stay warm in Eaton because you never got cold. There was no need for shelter in Eaton because it never rained. There was no need for how to fix food because you never got hungry. You were in paradise. But once you were expelled from Eaton, it necessitated 
innovation. And sometimes God allows us to be east of Eden where the church is right now in order to stimulate in us innovation. The witch told Dorothy, Dorothy, you could have gone home at the beginning of the movie. You did not have to go down the yellow brick road looking for a wizard to get you back to Kansas. The witch said to all of them, she said, look, you don't have to look for the wizard. The scarecrow always had a brain, but it took a crisis getting the witch's broom for that brain to be activated. The lion always had a heart, but it took seeking the witch's broom to bring that heart out. The lion always had courage, but it took doing something, a challenge to bring out the courage. And Dorothy could have gone home at the beginning of the movie because she had on her feet two ruby slippers. And it was only after the wizard who was really a wimp who couldn't navigate in hot air balloon because he was full of hot air. That was only person that had any sense in that movie was Toto. It was only after she realized she could not depend on the hot air balloon that she came to realize that God had put something on her that could get her back to Kansas. And that was those ruby slippers and her faith that if she kicked those slippers together, that she could get back home. And God has put something in us, innovation, creativity, that if we click those two slippers together, we can do what Jeremiah said, and that is to increase and not decrease in COVID-19. So don't live out a hotel, unpack your bags, get married, take out a 70-year mortgage, grow some slow-growing tomatoes, because you're going to be around a long time in COVID-19. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about Simmons College of Kentucky at simmonscollegeky.edu. And you can learn more about the North American Baptist Fellowship at nabfellowship.org. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this podcast, we greatly appreciate it, especially during these unusual times of coronavirus. And so all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, you really are missing out, and I have a special offer for you. Get your first year for half off. Just go to tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, you can send those to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.